0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you this morning. Um, Before I jump into the message this morning, I want you to know that tomorrow evening, Monday evening, at around 7 o'clock, there is a Wingnuts game. It's a charity event for Hope Ranch for Women, and Kathy has free tickets. So if you want to go to that and be a part of that evening, See, it's mob Kathy at the end of the, end of the service. You can, you can get those from her. Maybe you can distribute those among those who are part of Hope Ranch. So, why don't you know about that? Um, let's jump into the message this morning. Uh, last week, we started a new series called We Are Family. And we talked last week about the, the reality that, and, and I'm going to review a little bit this week with you, so that we, we have this clear in our minds, the differences between the thinking of slave and orphan mentality, and the thinking of sons and daughters. Uh, Last week, I shared with you, Kathy and I uh, celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. And that whole event was a secret to Kathy until about a week prior to the event. We'd been planning that for two or three months. And finally, about a week before the event, you know, I was getting a million questions and the pressure was too great, so I caved and we let her in on the little secret. One of the questions that the girls kept asking me, our daughters uh, kept asking us, was, or, or me, was, what is she going to wear? I'm like, I don't know, clothes, I don't know, she'll wear something. And, and you know, I'll, every, every woman I've told that to just kind of rolls, oh, of course that's what you thought, you know. So I let her in on the secret. We planned then from that point together and uh, ended up then celebrating. And, and so part of the planning was Kathy and Lauren went to shop for the dress, right? I didn't, I didn't even know this. You have to have a dress for everything. So <clears throat> she went to, they went shopping for the dress and uh, found some clothing, found more than a dress. Imagine that. Just came home with bags of stuff. And uh, I started wondering if this is such a good idea after all. But, uh, but Lauren had this idea. She said, Mom, you should wear my wedding dress. I think it'll fit. And so we went to Lauren's house, David Lauren's house, and they went to the room to try on the dress. And I went upstairs. They, they beckoned me upstairs, you know, to, to look at the dress. And so I went in, and, and our little two-year-old Iris was just mesmerized. Her face was glowing like a little cherub. She looked at me and said, Oh, Papa. She's so beautiful. (laughs) So, guess what Kathy wore for our little ceremony? She wore the, you know, she wore Lauren's wedding dress, and she was beautiful. (laughs) And so, the the more we planned that, uh, the more fun we had with it. We, in fact, I got some kid. uh, Yeah, this is a picture of of our kids and grandkids uh, on the right. You see our son Josh and Amy. His and then on the left, there's David and Lauren. Most of you know David and Lauren and, and all of our grandkids. Next picture of us and the, the grandkids, we have six so far, and another one on the way in January, so it was a ton of fun. It reminded me of the true story I heard recently about a little girl who was uh, supposed to be a flower girl for a wedding, and like they always do, they did rehearsal nights, so she came in on the night before the wedding, and they did the rehearsal, and she really Stopped. At the end of the aisle, didn't want to do this. And everybody just thought, well, you know, she's bashful, she's shy, she's, she's anxious. And, and mom was there trying to coax her along. She just did not want to do this at all. They thought, well, surely, you know, come wedding night, she'll go with the flow and it'll all be fine. Come wedding night, it was worse. She gets to the end of the aisle and she had a total meltdown. Mom's trying to help, you know, trying to get her to cooperate and do the flowers and the whole thing. And suddenly she just burst out. She said, but mommy... I don't want to get married. <laughs> you know, she, had, three years old, she had this, this belief that it was her. They were, you know, what terrible parents you are. You're forcing me to get married at three years old. You know, she had that thought. And, and what it reminded me is that the thoughts that are in the minds of our children And the thoughts that are in our minds as adults are the thoughts that we put there, aren't they? Everybody agree with that? The thoughts we put in the minds of our children are there because we put them there. And the thoughts we put in our own minds are there because we put them there. And God has a lot to say about what we put in our minds and what is there. Whether or not it's true or whether or not it's a lie He talks a lot about, make certain you put in your mind what should be there and take out what shouldn't be. He says, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can do the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. A lot of times when we talk about family, we have the wrong idea or the wrong definition of what family is. If you've adopted the definition of whatever our culture is saying these days that a family is or whatever some so-called expert or somebody who wrote a book, it may not line up with God's definition. We said last week, God created the whole idea of family and we ought to let him define it. We all agree with that so far, right? Let's let God define what family is and look at his word and what he has to say and what his intention is for family. He created it. He gets to define it. Words matter, don't they? What God says to us matters. We said last week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. And the story of the prodigal son we looked at last week, and we said the son, the prodigal son, really had a lot of what I would call orphan and slave thinking going on in his brain. He thought like an orphan or a slave. It said, he got to the... He got to He left with his father's wealth. He squandered it all on licentious living. And then he winds up in a pig pen. Not a great place for a young Jewish kid to wind up, especially when you're so hungry, you want to eat the food that the pigs are eating. This is the worst place on the planet for a young Jewish kid. And that's where he is. And he's beginning to think of himself as not worthy to be called a son. He said, you know what? I know where I can go home. I can go and be a slave in my father's house, at least I'll get fed there. I won't go hungry. Maybe I'll have clothing and shelter. I at least won't be, able to, won't, won't be starving to death. I won't be in this position. My father doesn't even have pigs. So he started home. It says he came to his senses and he went home. And he practiced his speech. And when he got to his father's house, the father went running. We remember the story from last week. The father grabbed him, kissed him, hugged him, regardless of what he smelled or looked like. He said, Bring the finest robe and put on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Bring new sandals and put it on his feet. For this son was dead, but now he's alive. The son was trying to do the speech the whole time. The father wasn't listening because it wasn't true. The son was not a slave. And he was not an orphan, although that's the way he began to think about himself. We looked at this list last week. I want to review this with you because I want you to get this in your minds, especially as we lead toward a time of Kairos and going through this experience together. I want us to know what this means. If you're an orphan or slave or you think like an orphan or slave, you think of God as master. But if you're a son and daughter, you think of him as a loving father. If you're an orphan or slave, you think, well, I need to be independent. If it's going to be, it's up to me. You know, I'm going to bootstrap myself through life, and I'll make it somehow. But I'm going to be independent. I'm going to do it on my own. But if you're a son or a daughter, you're, you know that you're interdependent. You know we can't do this on our own. We have to depend on God and one another. We're in this together as a family. If you're an orphan slave, you have that mentality in your mind, you're insecure. You're anxious. You're, you're, you're worried constantly about what other people think. But if you're a son and daughter, you have rest and peace. You know the Father loves you and that's all that matters. By the way, let me pause for a second and say this. I'm still working on this too. There's still little remnants, little, you know, places in my own mind, in my own life where I'm getting off the orphan and slave mentality. It's what Paul said, you know, take off the old and put on the new so anytime I identify one of these places in my, in my own mind where I realize, you know, that's, that's orphan-slave mentality, I just say to God, God, take that. I'm taking it off. I'm going to give it to you, and now I want you to give me, I'm going to receive from you, God, the truth. That's how this works. As an orphans and slave we want to fight for more. Everything's a fight. Everything's a battle. <clears throat> the problem is when, when orphans and slaves become warriors, they're really mercenaries, they're not part of a team. They're not part of a family. They're just fighting for their own stuff. But in, as a son and daughter, you realize, I don't have to fight. I inherit everything. What do I have to worry about? It's already mine because I've been adopted. As an or orphan slave, you feel like God is distant. you ever feel that way? Like God's a long ways off. He's, he's taking care of the other 7.3 billion people on the planet right now, and he's probably much too busy for my petty little issues. Or sometimes you feel like your, your prayers don't go above the ceiling. That's orphan-slave mentality. But as a son or a daughter, you know that God is close and intimate, and he wants nothing more for the, than for us to experience his presence with us. As orphan-slave, we strive for praise and acceptance and approval from other people. We need that. We, we long for that. We, we want to be validated by other people. But as a son or a daughter, we don't need that because we're loved and filled with grace. And God's constantly smiling on us when we experience his smile and his approval of us. As orphans and slaves, we have difficulty receiving. We talked about that last week. Because if we receive, we feel like we're going to owe something back. How good are you, for example, at letting someone pay for your lunch? Anybody ever fight over the tab? Just one small example. Or, okay, you get the lunch, but I get the tip. What is that about? We need to learn to receive, don't we? You you can buy my lunch anytime. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Difficult receiving. But as an orphan, or as a son or daughter, we know we receive blessings. One more. This list, by the way, could be a whole lot longer. (laughs) I could spend hours on this. But I want want you to get this in your mind. I want you to know, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know that you're sons and daughters and that you're not slaves or orphans. As an orphan or slave, we feel like we have to earn God's favor. i got to do enough good to make Him like me, to earn His love. But as a son or a daughter, we know His pleasure and we live in His presence, experiencing His blessing and His kindness and His love and His grace pouring into us, receiving His favor and walking in it. Man, that's why Jesus said, I I want you to have life in all of its fullness. Orphan-slave mentality compared to son or daughter. so important that we really settle, let this settle into our hearts and minds. Again, we've talked about the story. We've looked at the mentality of the younger son. Now I want to look at the mentality of the older brother, the other son of the father. Because I think he had a lot of orphan slave stuff going on in his own life too. If you have your Bibles, turn with me in Luke 15. You'll need to follow along. This passage is not going to be on the the screens. I'll, I'll read part of it and make some comments. In Luke 15, verse 25. At this point, by this time, this younger son has come home. He's been embraced. He's been given the robe. He's been given the ring and shoes, and now they're having the party. And And the older brother was in the field when he came and approached the house. He heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and began to inquire what these things could be, and he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, Before we read on, what should the response of the older brother be? He should be jumping and shouting and praising God, our prayers have been answered, the young brother has come home. But instead, you can read the rest, he goes, he gets mad, he goes, they're throwing a party and it's not for me, not only is it not for me, I didn't even get an invitation. And he starts throwing a big fit. And the father leaves the party. He refuses to go in, the older brother. The father leaves the party. And in, the same, in this parable of Jesus, this is the second time in the same story that the father has humbled himself to go to one of his sons. The first time he ran and humiliated himself. Hiked up his garments so he could run. You don't do that in the first century. And this time, he's doing it in front of everyone. Can't you just imagine people looking out of the windows, watching this ugly scene between the father and the older brother, where the older brother's having a little fit, a little temper tantrum. You never even gave me a goat, much less the fatted calf. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do. I've 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 been been the faithful one. I was here. And this younger son, he went off and squandered all your wealth and did it on prostitutes, and now you're throwing him a party? Are you kidding me? Right in front of everybody. And the father says to him, notice what he calls him. He says, my son. My son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. You're with me now. I'm always going, we're always going to be together. You realize in this parable that Jesus teaches. He's what he's saying is the father gave his heart to both sons that day. One of them received it. The other one could not. Which son are you? Which daughter are you? You know, we're all in this story, aren't we? We're all either the prodigal who needs to come home and be embraced and adopted and received and made whole. Or we're the son or daughter who has come home and we need to bring the others along with us. Or maybe you're the older son. And you're thinking, you know what? I've been faithful my whole life. Somebody should notice. You've got just as much orphan slave thinking going on as anybody else because you believe that all your good works and your faithfulness is what makes you a son or a daughter. And the truth is, it's the Father's heart that makes you a son or daughter. And you need to receive that. Because that and that alone, God and his grace alone. See, I want you to write something down. We are found in the Father, and we are formed in the family. We are found in the Father, and we are formed in the family. First point that I want to unpack that a little bit with you. We're found in the Father. Being found in the Father is what we all need. It's what every single person on the planet needs. That's why we're created, is to be in relationship with the Father. We're found in the Father through relationship. And when we are in relationship with God, we know this one thing. That we know He has spoken identity. He speaks identity into our lives. He tells us who we are and we believe him. And we receive that truth from God. We receive the truth that we are his son or his daughter. And fathers, even earthly fathers, were made in the image of God and were given roles and responsibilities as fathers. As fathers, we speak identity into our children. As we've received it from our Heavenly Father, we impart it to our children. Mothers nurture identity. Fathers speak it, mothers nurture it. We all do this together. I don't want any of us to raise children. I don't want this, I would never want this family to raise children to become orphans and slaves. I want us collectively each individual family and us collectively to raise up sons and daughters who will become fathers and mothers in the kingdom of God who can impart identity and truth and wisdom and grace and love and freedom and all that we get to impart from our heavenly Father in, through, into, and through the hearts and minds and lives of the children we are, that have the privilege of raising up in the name of Jesus. That's the way it's supposed to be, and that's why God defines family the way he does. There's a purpose here, and there's a plan of God that's unfolding as he speaks identity. He spoke identity into his own son. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's recorded in a couple places in the New Testament. We'll we'll look at Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes to be baptized in the Jordan River. Was it absolutely necessary? Yes, it was because it was prophecy. But Jesus probably could have done his work without it. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. But he's going to be obedient. He's going to follow the instruction of the Father. And he's going to step into the Jordan River and be baptized by John the Baptist. And when that happens, the heavens open. This is why it was so necessary. Jesus walks in in obedience. And the heavens open. And we read these words in in Matthew 3, 17. A voice came out of heaven, this is my son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you see the heart of the father there? You see what God's doing? God is speaking identity into the heart and mind of his son. And he's giving his blessing to him. And it's from this moment on that Jesus' ministry will become public. He goes from here to the wilderness to spend 40 days, and after that begins to preach, started in his own hometown of Nazareth, read from the scroll of Isaiah, and went on to fulfill the purposes God had for him, walking in his identity, walking in the truth, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, carrying with him the truth of who he was. At the end of Jesus' ministry, we read the prayer, it's called the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, that Jesus prays, and he prayed for you in that prayer. Read it. He prayed for you. The first few verses of that prayer go this way. John 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. See the heart connection there? Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given to him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see what's happening? Jesus is imparting life to you and to me because he is so closely connected to the source of life. He understands who he is, and he has walked in that identity, and now he is imparting that identity and that life and that truth and that grace and that freedom and that reality to each and every one of us, the source of life. Is giving us life, identity, truth, grace, wisdom. Everything that we need comes from Him. He's connected to the heart of the Father. And so He can impart the heart of the Father into our hearts and lives. And that's what we all need. We're found in the Father. Because we're all lost, aren't we, in one way or another, until we're found in the Father. We're all a prodigal of some sort, or we're all an older son, until we're found in the Father. Found is a foundation on which we can build our lives. It's the foundation of His heart, and His truth, and His life, and His love and grace for us. Secondly, we're found in the Father, and we're formed in the family. I want to give you five or six things For us to begin to apply specifically some steps we can take in some ways, some values we need to establish in our families, in our homes, in this family, and in every family context as we're raising up children to be sons and daughters of God, who will become mature fathers and mothers, these kinds of values. I'm going to just give you a few. I'll, I'll do more of this next week. But let me give you a few of them this morning because this is the way we form The lives of children that we're raising up within the context of the family. Number one, or A, we need a clear, unified devotion to and relationship with the Father. A clear, unified devotion to God. That needs to be our number one priority. God says, into his children in Deuteronomy, recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he's speaking to the children of Israel. They're on their way to the promised land. He knows that when they get there, they're going to have a tendency to forget all about him because they'll be living incredible lives of blessing, eating from vineyards they didn't plant and, and drinking from wells they didn't dig and living in houses they didn't build. And he's going to say, you're going to be so incredibly blessed. I don't want you to ever forget that we're connected at the heart. And so he says to them, to make certain that doesn't happen, let me give you this commandment to follow. This is his instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. He says, this commandment, the, the statutes and judgments with which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going to possess it, that you, listen carefully, that you and your son and your grandson, what's he talking about? He's talking about family, isn't he? He's talking about sons and daughters might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. See the blessing he just inherently includes there. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you. That you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, not just on your mind. It isn't just something to know about. This is a way to live. And as you live together in a family, he goes on to say, "'Teach them to your sons, and you shall talk of them "'when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, "'and when you lie down, and when you rise up. "'You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, "'and, on as, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. "'You shall write them on the doorposts of your house.'" and on your gates, constantly everywhere you go, every hour of the day, talk about who I am and the fact that you're totally devoted to the Father and the relationship with Him and that His blessing is ours if we walk with Him and He is our God and we are His people and that will always be true no matter... If this is 3,500 years ago, it's just as true today as it was then. If we will love the Lord our God, make Him first, and impart that to our children, that this has got to be the number one priority. Secondly, be, we have, there has to be open communication about everything. We say this all the time around here. We say, you know, we're all struggling with something. At times, we struggle greatly with things. Other times, it's not so bad. But we're all struggling with something. Let's struggle openly. It's when we go into hiding that we get into problems. It's when again. It's when we take on that orphan and slave mindset. We go, "I'm going to be independent. I'm going to do this on my own. I'll figure it out." How's that going? Doesn't work very well, does it? We need one another. We are interdependent as sons and daughters. We need to struggle openly. Therefore, there needs to be open communication about everything. Are you with me? It's so important, friends. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. In other words, if we don't speak the truth in love, we're not going to grow up. See, we need to celebrate uniqueness. We need to celebrate everyone's distinctive uniquenesses. No matter what, what you look like, where you're from, what your background is, what your intelligent quotient might be, what your experience is, where you're, what, no, matter, no matter what, everybody is. L- l- listen to what he says Psalm 139, verse 4, 14 says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that about the person sitting next to you? Do you know that about every person on the planet? We need to teach that value to our children and raise them up with the reality that everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made. We are all una- made with God's thumbprint on us, and He doesn't make any mistakes. Let's celebrate that the way He's made everyone in their uniquenesses. D, we need to, become, we need to make certain. That every environment is completely safe in every way. That every person, every place we go, every place our children are is completely safe in every way. Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, it's got to be safe. It's got to be safe for our kids to grow up and thrive. We have to establish an environment where they can thrive, where they're safe, where they can grow and become and mature. Jesus said in John 10, 10 and 11, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's moms, sons and daughters. we got to be there for one another. We have to establish a safe environment and sometimes lay down our lives for one another so that people will be safe so they can develop and grow and not be stolen by the enemy, not be destroyed by the one who wants to destroy us. E, with respect and value, every person, everywhere. Oh, man, I could, we, could, we could all talk for hours on this, right? That We need to respect and value everyone, everywhere. And it's got to start in the home. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This thing of honoring and respecting and valuing one another has to start in in, in each individual home needs to start in marriage. needs to start in every place where a child is growing up. Remember, what they have in their minds is what we put there. What we have in our minds as adults is what we put there. You find some kind of slave or orphan mentality or something that doesn't line up with this teaching and God's Word, then take it off so that you can put on life and truth. You know, I don't want to talk a whole lot about this, but, but there's a, a glaring example, even this weekend, of, of, of places where people do not honor and respect one another. All the events unfolding in Charlotte just... Uh, our world is broken. And, and nobody else is talking about this stuff except the children of God people who are truly sons and daughters of the Most High God. And friends, we not only need to talk about it, we need to live this way. We have to respect every single person, everywhere, always. No matter what. It's got to start in the home. We have to be careful about how we talk about other people in front of our children. The Word of God says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's something going on in our heart that's still slave orphan stuff or doesn't belong, wouldn't belong in the heart of God, it doesn't belong in our heart. Amen? So let's take it off and put on what he has to say. Finally, at least for today, finally, responsibility. We need to teach our children to be responsible. You know, as our children were growing up, we uh, we all did family chores and work around the house together. Cleaning day was not a lot of fun, but we made it as fun as we could make it was Saturday morning, what we'd do is almost every Saturday morning, we'd have breakfast. We'd do pancakes or waffles or something so that it was really fun. And then we'd go, okay, for the next two hours, it's going to be blitz the house. We're going to clean it, and we're going to clean it together. We turned up the music really loud, music the kids wanted to listen to. And everybody went and did their deal. We're going to clean this place up. It's going to take about two hours if we all do it together. Ready, set, go! When it's time to do the dishes, when it's time to take out the trash, our kids learned to help with those things. We got them pets when they were young just so they could learn responsibility, taking care of something that was going to depend on them. Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do, Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. What we do, we do as to the Lord. And as parents we impart that truth to our children. But we have to do it too, right? We have to lead by example. I was just talking to someone recently, just this last week that's connected closely to one of our institutions of higher learning in this state. And they said to me, and this is not just a unique concern to them, it's a unique concern for several of our institutions of higher learning. You know what their greatest concern is right now? They're graduating students who are not very employable, not because they don't have academics, but because they don't have this. They don't have the core values. They don't have the character. Many of them. Not all of them. But many of them. You know what they need? (laughs) They need a family like you. That's what they need. They need a family to grow up in where they can become sons and daughters and learn all of these core values and become the sons and daughters who will become fathers and mothers imparting all this truth to the next generation that's what they need you have friends and family that need this that's why we all, we need to bring them here we need to make them part of the family of God, everybody agree with that our whole community our whole nation, our whole country needs this I don't know what the Holy Spirit's been saying to you this morning we've talked about two things we've talked about the fact that we are found in the Father and we're formed in the family if you if you've been here this morning and, and you're realizing you know I need to get settled I need to be found in the Father I need to, I need to secure I need to experience the security of, the, of my relationship with my Heavenly Father We've said we're all prodigals or older brothers, one or the other. If that's you, and you've recognized that you need to take off some of that orphan slave mentality and put on sonship, I want to encourage you to do exactly what Jesus did. You know, Jesus walked into the Jordan River and received God's promise. He received God's blessing. He received God's word to him. I want to encourage you to walk down to the altar and receive what God has for you. If your parents here this morning raising children in a home or maybe you're an aunt and an uncle or you're a grandparent or maybe a friend that is helping raise children like we all are, I want to encourage you to come and receive everything the Father has for you as we drive a stake in the ground this morning and say from this day forward, I'm going to be a part of a family that raises children to become sons and daughters and not orphans and slaves. I'm going to learn everything I can. I'm going to become all of that myself so I can impart sonship and not anything else. I want to invite you to come and do that this morning. Would you bow your heads to me and pray? Father, Father, I sense that every single person here is just listening to you right now, wanting to respond to what you're saying. So, Father, for every one of us, we would say to you, I want to be found in you, God. I want to be found in you as a son or as a daughter. I want to receive sonship. I want to take off slavery. I want to take off an orphan mentality. I want to receive adoption. And Father, I want to be part of forming a family. I need to be formed and I need to form those around me and speak life and truth into them. So, Lord, impart your spirit and impart your truth and your power for all of us as we do that into the hearts and minds and lives of the the younger ones around us. Form your family in us so we impart your family to others.